Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zerah Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Biblical truth is for all humanity. We read in the scripture that God is not a respecter of people, meaning this. God doesn't have favorites, that he treats some better than others, ignores some sin and punishes those that belong to other people. God is a fully, totally just God. And what we see is that even though God has called Israel uniquely, that calling is for all nations. God gave his truth first to Israel, but not to remain there, but that Israel would be a light to the nations, that they would be a source of illumination and reveal, teach the truth of God to all people, that all people would be brought under the authority of God responding to the instructions of God. But instead of doing that, what we see common among the nations is idolatry. And therefore, God punished the nations. And when Israel fell into idolatry, when they behaved in a similar way, obviously, this just God who's not a respecter of people, God punished Israel as well. We see that Israel, that northern kingdom, went into exile, led by the Assyrians who punished them severely. And of course, the southern kingdom, Judah, went into exile by the hands of the Babylonians. Now, both groups were idol worshipers, and God is going to judge them according to his time and his purposes. And this is what Isaiah is revealing. And he wants Israel to understand the implications of that. So let's begin. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 46. The book of Isaiah and chapter 46. We see in this first verse that two idols are mentioned. Baal and Nebo. Two idols of Babylon. And the context here is that the Babylonian Empire has come to an end. We've already talked about Koresh, that is Cyrus, the leader of a new empire that dominated and took control over what Babylon administered. And I'm speaking about what's known as the Medes and the Persians. They took over. They brought judgment upon the Babylonians in the same way that the Babylonians brought judgment upon Judah. So we read here in verse 1, Baal has bowed down and Neville has collapsed. They were not able to stand up against the judgment of God. And it says, they were their idols, the idols of Babylon, 
And then we have the phrase, la chaya ve la bihima. Chaya and bihima we're talking about, in a general way, the term for animals. Bihima is usually domesticated animals. And what many believe is that these idols were simply of a specific type of, of animal. They weren't of true gods. They weren't of a, a power, but rather of creation. So it was a message that their worship, their idolatry, gave a status to creation that it ought not have. There's only one God, and therefore they bowed down to creation rather than to the creator. And then we read that their carts, literally your carts, speaking about the Babylonians, that your carts, they were loaded down with a burden that brought about a, a exhaustion. They were tired. They were fatigued. Why? Well, the joy of the Lord is our strength. When we walk with God, what does it say? We will mount up like we have the wings of eagle. We will run and not be tired. We won't grow weary. But idolatry takes the power from one. It puts one in a weaker state. So this idolatry, Brought about them, and carts are mentioned. Now it says, your carts. Some say that it was the Jewish people who had made these carts. And now they watch what they had made enslaved to Babylon. As the Babylonians were taking their broken idols, their useless idols, into exile with them. Meaning they too were being dominated by another, we talked about this, the Medes and the Persians. Look now to verse 2. It simply says, they collapse, they bow down all together, and this is speaking about being humiliated. They were not victorious. They were not triumphant. They could not stand. They could not maintain and overcome the judgment that God brought upon them. It says, they collapsed, they bowed down all together in a total manner. And they were not able to flee. Why? The burden. This burden, which is oftentimes a word that relates to judgment. And their soul, the souls of the Babylonians, meaning the very essence of them. It says, into captivity it went meaning their soul went verse three now most scholars see the first two verses figuring primarily upon the babylonians that their empire had come to an end they were defeated they were humiliated and they went into exile as well and now in verse three the prophet is saying to the jewish people you need to, to take note of this. You need to pay attention. You need to see this. Why? Once again, God is not a respecter of persons. He sent Judah, the Jewish people, into exile. Why? Because of idolatry. And now he's seeing the same thing. Israel is seeing that 
the Babylonians are suffering that same type of consequence, that same punishment from God. So look at verse 3. It says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. Now, some have pointed out that in exile, the Babylonian exile, there were also those from the house of Israel, those northern tribes that, that found themselves also in different places being taken over and brought to Babylon as well. So once more, verse 3, listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. And then it speaks about being weighed down, and some would say that, that it's the fact that God, God helped them in the midst of them being burdened. He says basically that he uh, uh, helped them from the womb. He carried them from, it's a different word for womb. So it's parallelism here. So in the same way that one word means to be carried, the other one has to do with supporting those who have been weighed down, who are burdened. And God has been doing this from the very beginning of the nation of Israel's history from their very beginning. Verse 4. Unto the old I am he. Meaning, God does not change. You look at a very old individual, God is still God. I am he. He has not changed. And unto, and this is a word for one who has, has gray hair, he says, unto old age, unto gray hair, I have suffered. And this means God has borne, God has helped out, he has carried his people. So God is saying, you can be assured that from the womb until the time that you die, I am a faithful God. I have carried you. I have assisted you. I have supported you. This is what he's revealing to the people. He says, I have done and I have, have and I will carry and I will, will, another word for carry or support, and I will, will give refuge. I will cause you to escape. So all of this, God is promising. I don't change. There is a history that you can see among the God of Israel for helping, delivering the people. They may go into exile. They may lose a battle. But God, sooner or later, restores them, brings them back, and renews his relationship with him. Verse 5. For to whom is, is likened to me, and, and is equal, and can be compared to me, and we will be likened. He says basically, you know, you have that, that history of, of falling into idolatry. So tell me, which idol is like me? Which one is similar? Which one can you compare? Let's, let's compare, so let us be compared one to another to see if truly these idols are anything like the true God, the God of Israel. So he's challenging the people, and then he scolds them for what they do. Now, they tended to be stingy, cheap, 
in regard to their offerings to God. They spent things upon themselves. For example, Haggai writes in his prophecy that instead of using what God gave them for the building of the temple, God provided it, supplied it, everything was there, and instead of building the temple, they took that material that was came to them by free, and they used it for their own homes. Selfishness. And God says that you have spread out gold from your pockets and silver with a, a cane, and this is a way of measuring it, you have weighed it. And you have paid the wages of a, a jeweler. And he has done it. What has he done? He's made a God. And, and they have bowed down. And they have worshipped. Now all of this came. What did the people do? They were all too ready to take gold, large amounts of it. That of silver as well. To weigh it, meaning spend it. And give it to another man to make an idol. And they were all too ready to bow down and worship these idols. Verse 7. He says, they carried it, meaning the idol, upon their shoulder. They carried it and they set it in its place. He stood. And the point is he did not move from his place. He says, surely he will cry out to him, meaning that the individual will cry out to, to the idol, meaning wanting help. But the idol, it says, he will not answer from his trouble, meaning he's not going to do anything. There's not going to be response for the troubling, the trouble that this idol worshiper is having in his life. And this idol, it says, lo yoshienu. This idol will not save him. There's no hope in idolatry. And again, understand the context. What's taking place here? Isaiah is showing the Babylonians. Now, they were strong for a season. They were powerful. But their power and their strength, God allowed only for one purpose. And that is to use them to punish you. Use them as an instrument of judgment because of your sin. And what happened to you because of your idolatry is now happening to them. Why? Again, God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't treat one differently than another. God is consistent. His laws equally apply to all people, both Jew and Gentile. Now, verse, verse 8. He says, again, still addressing the house of Jacob, the house of Israel. He says, remember this. And then we have a phrase. Most Bibles will translate it. Be a man. Now, when you look at some of the chief commentators, they will say about this word that it really means be strong. Deal with things with power. Do things as they should be done. So it just doesn't mean be a man, but rather be the type of individual 
that God has created humanity to be. Come to your senses. Do what is right, and that is the will of God, what God has commanded. So look again at at verse 8. Remember this and be strong. And then he says, he's addressing poshim. What are poshim? Transgressors. Now, with this term transgression comes rebelliousness. This term for, for a transgressor is also what we get in modern Hebrew for someone who is a criminal. He knows the law, but he transgresses it. In essence, he rebels against it. And so what he says here at the end of this verse, he says transgressors, and the implication is set this, bring this upon your mind, remember these things. Now, God says that because of the fact that he is consistent. We can be assured how God is going to respond to disobedience. He doesn't like it. He's not going to tolerate it long. There's going to be consequences, punishments, judgment. You will eventually lose. You are going to suffer loss. You are not going to know joy, contentment. You're not going to have a sound mind. You're not going to be able to maintain good relationships. And this is one of the reasons why so many families are dysfunctional today. Because people are acting, behaving in a way that is very similar to an idolatrous mind. They're seeking what they want opposed to to that of what God wants. So he says, remember all of this, bring it upon your mind. Literally, it's the word heart, but in this case, we're talking about that part of the body that thinks. Verse, Verse 9, he says, remember once more. Now, I would suggest to you that, that you remember a principle. According to the sages of Israel, where that word, score to remember, appears in the Bible, it always has to do with remembering that there's a covenant, that God gave and made a covenant with people, with his people, and now through the new covenant, it's offered to all humanity. We need to remember that this is a covenant-keeping God. So he says, remember, and then we have the word Rishonot, which is the former things, meaning of long ago, those former things in the distant past. For I am God, there is no other God. And then he says, Ephes, which means nothing is like me. There's nothing that can be compared that is similar, that like God. Verse 10. And what does God do that shows that he's unique? Well, remember, the idols, you can cry out in trouble. There's no response from them. But what does God do? God gives counsel. God gives insight. And it says in verse 10, that he declares from the beginning the end. God tells us what the end is going to be. And what is that? Very simple. The end is going to be with judgment. And this is why the individuals that that teach 
that this world's going to get better, that believers are going to have a major impact in this world and bring things according to God's will over all these different segments of society, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere is that taught in the scripture. What the end that God has said is coming is judgment. God is going to destroy this world. He is going to bring his wrath. It is going to be a world of, of, of being a recipient of God's consuming judgment. That's the end that God has declared it from the beginning. Look again at verse 10. For he declares from the beginning the end. And Mekedim, the things of long ago, have they not been done? Meaning, hasn't God been, been accurate? Hasn't God said and acted and brought into fulfillment what he said long ago? And then he says, say, meaning, and it's command, proclaim. Proclaim that my counsel will stand, and that can mean will be established. And all my desire I will do. So God is going to ultimately bring about the fulfillment of his will. And what is that? Well, it's going to be manifested. That which is going to bring about the change, a kingdom change, is going to be the wrath of God. He is going to destroy all of that which has not experienced redemption. Now, here's an important question. And I've asked this before, but I think it really, hopefully, causes people to, to think. And the question is this. Are you smarter than a rock? Now, most people are not. And the reason why I say that is simply this. We see in the book of Romans that the world, that the earth is crying out. That means the rocks, the trees, the soil, all the, the natural things of, of this world. The Bible says they are crying out, wanting the redemption of the sons of men, meaning the sons of God, those who, human beings who are, are redeemed. They want the outcome, this transformation that redemption brings about, a kingdom transformation. Why? Because the rock knows when that happens to the sons of God, meaning believers, his followers, those who are in a covenantal relationship with him, when that happens to them, it's going to have a marvelous, wonderful, and also redemptive outcome on the world. The world is going to be transformed. So the rocks are crying out, desiring redemption. What about you? What about the people around you that you know? Are they interested and committed to redemption? So we're supposed to say here, my counsel, say that my counsel, meaning the counsel of God, will be established. And everything that God desires, he's going to do. He says, I will do, verse 11. Now, in verse 11, and this is an interpretation, but most see this as referring to the time of Cyrus. What does it say? Well, let's just look at verse 11 where it says, Call from the east, Ayat. Ayat is a hawk or an eagle. Now, it's a bird of prey, 
but it's a majestic bird of prey. One that is a very powerful bird that usually gets its prey. And some say, in fact, most scholars, both Christian and Jewish, see this as, as something that relates to Cyrus. We read, call from the east a, an eagle, and from a distant land a man. So now it tells us that this, this majestic bird is really a man. And it says, his counsel, surely I have spoken. Now, some will say, my counsel I have spoken, and simply means this. It tells us that if this is indeed about Cyrus, that, that his counsel, what he's going to say, is really the Lord's counsel. And it all has to do with Cyrus giving this edict, allowing the Jewish people to go home, to go back to the land, to Jerusalem, and to rebuild the temple. He says, His counsel, surely I have spoken. Surely I will bring it. I have counseled it, meaning I have been inclined towards that. This is word yetzer, which is an inclination a thought in this context. And he says, I have, have thought this, and surely I will do this. Verse 12. Now, verse 12, we're coming to the end of, of this, this chapter. And verse 12 begins a summary. Has to ask, what type of people are we? In verse 12, it says, here me, this means listen and pay attention and respond properly. Hear me, Abire Leif. Now, this word can mean like a knight, a noble individual, but in this context, it's speaking about one who is strong, mighty, but mighty in their heart, meaning they're stubborn. They want what they want. They think their thoughts are the majestic ones, the glorious ones, what they are pursuing. So it says, listen to me. We might say all stubborn in heart. Those who are far away from what? Righteousness. Now, it simply tells us, when I am stubborn, committed to what I want, God's truth, I don't pay attention to. I don't study. I don't apply to my life. I don't share it. I just do what I want. I'm focused upon my will. When we are stubborn like that, we are going to be very far away from righteousness. Now, realize that righteousness relates to the kingdom. The kingdom of righteousness, that's what we're supposed to seek. So he's telling the people, because you are stubborn, you are not thinking the right thoughts, you are far away from righteousness, meaning the righteousness of the kingdom. That's their current condition. But nevertheless, their disobedience is not going to thwart what God eventually is going to do. Look at our last verse, verse 13. He says, Karafti sitkati, my righteousness I, I have brought near. This is what God is promising. Now, it's in the past tense because God is telling us, even though it's a future happening, he's going to do it. It is assured. So I have brought forth 
close my righteousness it is not far away and my salvation it's not going to delay it's not going to come late for he says i have put or literally i will put in zion that is salvation salvation for israel my splendor now one of the things that that god keeps promising is that he's going to bring a change to israel in this context in the days of isaiah and actually speaking about the time after isaiah he was prophesying about this babylonian captivity what was going to happen that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years and then god was going to raise up Korish, that is cyrus to give that edict to speak the counsel of god in order that the people return to the land he's going to bring a restoration and that simply is foreshadowing a future restoration that god's going to do and so what great news in the last verse 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 13 he says here it's in the past tense but it's a future happening i will bring near my righteousness it's not going to be far away what's not going to be far away this kingdom this kingdom of righteousness and he says my salvation is not going to be late it's not going to be delayed for i will set it in zion this kingdom word Zion. i will set in zion shua that is salvation salvation notice for israel my splendor and this tells us see at the time of isaiah and the time of the babylonian captivity thereafter israel didn't look splendid they were not referring and testifying of the teferit meaning the splendor of god they were very distant from that and that's why it says his salvation was distant but change is coming and over and over, what I want you to see is that even though in Isaiah's time, the, the children of Israel were not in that kingdom condition, they were far removed from it, but God was going to bring it about to those who have that covenantal relationship, that remnant, that, that, that group that will indeed reaffirm the truth of God, apply it to their life, Call out in the name of God, seeking the Redeemer. And God at immediate is going to respond and bring about that glorious change that is going to change all of his creation. Redemption is a powerful thing. And that's why we always need to focus upon that message of redemption. And who is the Redeemer? Messiah Yeshua. He's going to ultimately be the one to change Israel when he returns. And when we, the body of believers, will be coming with him at his second coming. We're going to have a front row seat for this dramatic change that God has prophesied, that he has promised one day we'll witness it before our eyes. God is good, and he is greatly to be praised. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. 
Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.